Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. I want us to take a look this morning at Genesis chapter 22, and we'll begin our reading in verse 1. Genesis chapter 22, and we will begin our reading in verse 1. I think you will find this to be a familiar passage of Scripture. It says, now it came about in the verse 1 after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third Day. None of this is by accident. You see where it's pointing. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. And I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you, worship, and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son, or Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire, and he took in his hand the knife, so that the two of them walked on together. And Isaac spoke, or Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father, he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamp for, or the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Von Rod is an old German theologian, but he makes a note in this his commentary on this passage, everything has slowed down to a crawl. When you are about to sacrifice your son, somewhere along the way you quit being in a hurry. Notice how slow the narrative is now moving. And Abraham stretched out, or says, then they came to the place of which God had told him, And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood, bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. 
He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place the Lord. This time he uses the word Yahweh. Yahweh will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. I hope you don't forget where this one is. This one is unique in several ways, and one of those ways is it is the first time that we come across the word worship. Now, shakal is the Hebrew word, and it occurs twice before this, but the first time is when Abraham in chapter 18 is met by the angels of the Lord, and he bows down. That's one of the meanings of shakal. And then the next time is in chapter 19 where Lot is met by the two angels and he bows down. But this time there's more going on than just bowing down. And this time we translate the word shakal for the very first time in Scripture as worship. We are Going, I like the old King James where it says, we're going yonder. That means they from, they're from South Carolina. But we're going yonder to worship. And we will return. And, and let me just tell you now, we can read this story way too fast and miss a lot of it. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews tells us that Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. That means he believed he was about to kill his son. And if you get really into the details, it gets even worse because the sacrifice, first of all, has to be slain, and then it has to be butchered, and then it has to be burned as a sacrifice to God. If you read that quickly, it's not too bad. But when you realize the Hebrew word for burnt offering is olah. And holah is a word that we get holocaust from, from the Jewish community. It means a, a, a burning a, to, to death of, a, of an offering to God. And, and, and I can just tell you, all of this is far more serious than just a cute little Bible story about Abraham. This is serious business, and, and a lot of it, we don't get all of the details, but just think about the fact that God has asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. Now, for us, it would be really weird, but for Abraham, he knew that the Canaanites around him sacrificed their children all the time, but God had told him he was different. He said, I'm not like the gods of the Canaanites, and I'm not 
like the gods of the Moabites or the Ammonites and all of these others. I am not like them. I am different than those gods. But yet here he is now asking Abraham, commanding Abraham to sacrifice his own son to him. So he says we're going there to worship. Let let me just say this quickly. We were created for one thing. And that is to worship God. And if you have the Westminster Confession before you, as I know many of you do in your hand now, and to enjoy Him forever. But we are to worship God. We are to glorify God. That's what He created us to do. So is it any wonder that our world is in a mess when you realize that every person on this earth was created to worship God, and yet only a fraction of the people on this earth even know God, even have a relationship with God. I know we say this often, but this whole business of, oh, we all get to go to heaven business. I mean, I've started asking people, well, why would you want to go? Why do you want to go to a place where you worship, where we worship, and it's a privilege to get to do so, someone that maybe you don't even know? When people say that, well, I believe everybody goes to heaven, why would everybody want to go to heaven? Heaven is not like carowinds with no lines and and free giant pretzels for everyone. Heaven is a place that is about God. It will be the most not about you place you've ever been in your life. So why in the world would you even want to go? If you just want to go so you don't have to go to hell, I, I, I tell you, you really got some mixed up theology and, and you're probably not going to accomplish your goal. I can tell you, worshiping God is serious business. And when he says that I, we're going to worship, we, we need to pause there and think about what he is saying. I am going to give the most valuable thing I own to God. And he calls it worship. So let's get this definition clear in our minds. Worshiping God is an attitude or action or lifestyle wherein we make God the most important thing in life. That's worship. We may express our worship through singing. I grew up thinking that worship was the first two or three things in the bulletin every Sunday in a Southern Baptist church. That's what we call worship. And I grew up equating worship with music. You, you might express your worship through song or through some uh, other means, but I can tell you, worship is when you do whatever it takes to, to indicate that God Almighty is the most important thing in your life. And, and as fathers today, I would say this. Abraham is about to teach his family what real worship is all about. And that's our job, dads. Our job as, as, as fathers, we are to teach our children and our grandchildren that God Almighty is the most important thing on this earth. There is nothing else that can compare with him. 
And you think about this. If we're going to do it through giving things and sacrificing to God, we have to realize to start with, we would have nothing to give if it weren't for God. We'd have absolutely nothing. You know, some people still struggle with that, what's his and what's mine. I, I, I got a mathematical formula. You, you know, man, I'm, when it comes to math, I'm a whiz. But I, I can just tell you a simple formula. When you die, everything you take with you is yours. Okay? That's yours. You can claim that, buddy. That all belongs to you. As a matter of fact, think about it. Everything you own, before you start saying get off my land or don't scratch my car or, or get out of my way or get out of my lane or whatever. And I've been driving on I-85 some this week, so you just have to forgive me. i got got memories to share. But I can just tell you now, before you start claiming all that, remember this. Everything you own was here before you got here. It was here before you got here. And now here you show up on earth and you start shooting people because they mowed grass over on your line a little bit. It's absolutely ridiculous. And, and, and I, I, I know that most of the time that happens in the world. Unfortunately, sometimes it happens in church. We have to come to God and say, God, I wouldn't have anything if it weren't for you. So let me just ask you this. What do we have that we can give to a God who has everything from a person who actually has nothing? The only thing we can give him is worship all we got it's all we have is to come to him with worship a second thing I, I want to mention before we look at the text this passage is not only about worship but man so fitting for our world today it's also about trials also about difficulties I, I, I like what Warren Wiersbe did in his commentary on the chapter he talks about all the tests that are the trials that Abraham has already faced. He faced the family test to start with when he left Ur of Chaldees and went 600 miles to a place he had never been in his life. He left his life behind and he moved on and he followed God. I can tell you that's not an easy thing to do. Uh, God only called me to move from South Carolina to North Carolina. I couldn't imagine moving from Ur of Chaldees. Oh, man, when Abraham was in Ur that many years ago, 2,000 years before Christ, when Abraham was there, Ur was already a cultural uh, metropolis center. They had libraries. They had all kind of stuff. And God sends him to, to Cana where they ate their neighbors, you know. And it's a different kind of place. And, and he left all of that behind. And, and he left a lot of loved ones behind as well. Sometimes when people tell me, well, you know, that uh, we, we're trying to find a church where all of us seem to like it or whatever. And, and you're trying to suit the whole family. You need to go wherever God sends you. And sometimes even the dearest members of your family, you will leave them behind. They won't go. They won't go. And it's not your job to keep them together. It's our job to do what God tells us to do. He failed the famine test. That was the next one. 
When a famine hit, he took off to Egypt, and he got himself in trouble down there lying about his beautiful wife. He passed the fellowship test when he and Lot got into it, and their herdsmen started fighting with each other. He gave Lot the best-looking piece of land, and he went the other direction. He took on some kings, so he passed the fight test. And then the fortune test, he passed it because they tried to pay him after he rescued Sodom and Gomorrah and their kings. And he would refuse to take anything from them. But man, so far for Abraham, it's been one trial after another. I can tell you, friend, we're going to follow Christ, we need to understand now there are some painful adjustments. That's the best way I know to put it that you will have to make sometimes in life. Following that path of least resistance, that's, as the old saying goes, that's what makes rivers and a lot of good men crooked. Because it's not always God's will. Oh, this just worked out. This door just opened up. Uh, and, and whatever, or I met this really cool person, and we just happened to be at Starbucks at the same time, and, and we just know it was of the Lord, and now we've moved in together, and God's just blessing this, and, and boy, now we're so happy, and blah, 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 and you just are living in sin, and you're nowhere near God's will, but you got there because you decided, because everything fell into place, it must be God. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Boy, in the school of faith, we have tests. And I want to say one more thing, and then we'll move to our text proper. But in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, I'll just read it to you. It says, you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness. This is Moses talking to those who will get to go to the promised land, himself excluded. These 40 years, he says, his might, humble, that his might will humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. Sometimes God will test us to find out what is in our heart. I wonder sometimes how many times I've been tested and didn't realize it. That God was wanting me to see, Mike, this is what's in your heart. It took almost nothing for you to lose your temper. It took almost nothing for you to grow frustrated. It took almost nothing for you to become disappointed and and weary and and have this uh, horrible attitude toward other people. It took almost nothing for you to become lazy, Mike. I tested you so that you could see what was in your heart. And I will say this, I wonder right now when I look around the world and and I see the world going to hell in a handbasket and we're hearing almost nothing it seems from the church. We're just kind of sitting by and watching it all take place and just going my, 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 that's about all you can expect from the world. They're hearing very little from us. Men, Fathers, I ask you, I wonder if God's testing us to see if we're ever going to take a stand for right and wrong. I worry it could be a test. Well, I want to share with you this morning about a father who led his family to worship God. 
quick, simple. He led them, first of all, to the whom. He taught them the whom of worship. Might sound simple, but it says, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. That's how you answer God. Here I am. Where you want me to go doesn't matter. You are the one that I have to worship. Now, I can tell you, that may sound simple. Well, of course, God is the one that we are to worship. But I can tell you, we spend a lot of time sometimes in our churches trying to make people feel like we ought to be making God feel. We try to please them, make them happy. I, I, I hear this thing sometimes from people. Uh, I, I don't hear it a lot here, but maybe it's just people scared to tell me. But I, I'll hear people say they went to a church somewhere, and I, I don't even know what it was like. It might have been terrible, but, 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 but they'll make the comment, well, well, I just really didn't like their worship. Well, maybe they weren't worshiping you. Have you thought of that? Maybe they weren't worshiping you. And, and, and we laugh about that, but I want to tell you something. A lot of times we come to church and we're kind of like, uh, yeah, we like a little bit of worship. I mean, at least they could have spoke. Uh, one of the pastors could have at least come by and said something or, or afterwards, uh, whatever it was you were expecting, I, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's incredible what we expect sometimes. I can tell you, we come to church, and let's get the whom right to start with. We come to church to worship God. And we come here to make him feel important. So let's quit asking ourselves, did that song speak to us? Why don't we ask, did that song speak to God? He is the audience. Oh, I know we've created our buildings and we've got one here. Looks just like a lot of the others and I understand that. And I love our building, but I'm just telling you, look how we designed our building. We've got a stage and we've got an audience. And, and, and that's kind of how these things evolved over time. The audience is God when we come to church. It's not us. And it's not about us. Abraham didn't sit down with Sarah and go, well, okay, uh, Let's you and I t discuss this. This is a decision that we ought to make together. I, I know I'd be a terrible marriage counselor, but God told Abraham, take your son and go. When he called his name even, he said, here I am. God, you are the one that I worship. And I love my son, but you have to be the most important thing in my life. I, I, I don't know. I think when we say we don't enjoy the worship, maybe it was the, I don't know, the ambience, the atmosphere, the mood, the tone, the whatever. We come to church a lot of times with our own ideas. I, I remember growing up playing music and uh, being a musician for uh, so much of my life. And I, I remember how easy it was for the church to adapt uh, music that sounded Christian songs that sounded like country songs because we had already baptized country music. We liked it all right. And so we'd sing a new song would come out and if it had a 
twang to it and a banjo. We just said, that's of the Lord. But then when songs started coming out that had drums and electric guitars, and we went backing up a little bit because that was our style to start with. And then we started telling God all the things that he would be able to use and not be able to use. I want to tell you, God can use anything he wants to use as long as it brings him honor and glory. I wouldn't have thought he'd have put a serpent on a pole in the middle of the camp in the book of Numbers. That sure looks like an idol to me. But he did. And he used it. And it saved people's lives. So why don't you and I let God handle that department? He's the whom. The what. What is it God wants from us? Verse 2, he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love. The one you love. Don't forget that. Isaac and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a hola on one of the mountains. A burnt offering on one of the mountains. Which I will tell you. Man. I want the best you have. I want the most precious thing in your life. I want to know that even above Isaac, that I am on the throne of your heart, Abraham. It really was never Isaac God wanted. It was Abraham that God wanted. And he knew if he would give him Isaac, he knew then that he had Abraham. You know, when I think of worship today, I don't know if you remember two guys named Hophni and Phineas. They were the sons of Eli. They were wicked. Eli was a high priest. This is all in First Samuel. Eli was a high priest. Hophni and Phineas, they were idiots, okay? They were self-serving numbskulls. And they sinned against God. But their sin against God is repeated, I think, even to this day. One of the things they would do, they would go in where the priest was about to sacrifice uh, on the altar. And one of the things that had to happen, God says the fat, first of all, must be burned away. And once the fat is burned away from the meat, then a fork can be stuck into the meat. And then the priests and the Levites can eat from that. That's how they're going to get food because they are able to eat from that, a portion of that themselves. Well, Hophni and Phinehas, their dad is a high priest, and so they are in line for all of that. But their problem was they said, we like our meat roasted. And they told the high priest that before the fat burns away, we'd like to go ahead and get ours now. In other words, before God gets his part, I want my part. I, we, we, want, we don't mind worshiping God as long as we can worship God however it is that we want to. I think sometimes we may be more like Hophni and Phineas uh, than we think. God says, no, I, I, I want the best, and I get it first, and that's how it's going to be. 
he was very specific for one thing. He says, take now your son. Now, we all know that God wants us to live better and try to do better. And we can say things like that. But I, I, I can tell you, God's more specific than that. He doesn't just want Mike Snellgrove to pray more. He wants that thing in my life that's keeping me from praying more. What is it that's in your life, Mike, that's got you so occupied, so busy? Or are, are you, do, do, do you have bills that you shouldn't have gotten to start with and you're working two jobs? Is that why you can't get to church? What, what are those things that are keeping you from already doing what you should do? Those are the kinds of things that God wants from me. Does he want me to trust him? Absolutely. But he wants that thing that I'm trusting now. Maybe it's uh, my, my talents or my abilities or, or, or maybe my good looks or, or something like that. Not uh, present company excluded, of course. But I'm just saying whatever it is, maybe you just feel like you're talented and you got abilities. And that's where you find your security. I can tell you, if you find your security in how you look, just hang around a while. If you find it in how you feel, you won't have to hang around as long. My goodness. I'm glad they're playing music every Sunday morning when I stand up from that chair. Or you would hear some cracking and popping and creaking. You'd think the building was falling in. Oh, my goodness. I saw a young man today that doesn't look like he's aged a bit. In the world, he knows who he is. Thank, I'm so glad he's here today with his family. He looks as young as he did years ago. I look like 10 miles, a bad road, man. But I can just tell you, wherever you're finding your security, if it's not God, it can be gone tomorrow. He wants you to find it in your relationship with him. Sometimes, oh, I know I need to go to church more. We hear that. I need to go to church more. What's keeping you from going more now? What, what is it that's in your life that's keeping you from going, well, I got this and I got that and, you know, this, that, and the other and blah, blah, blah. The blah, blah, blah is what God wants to talk about. That's the problem. He's specific. He's also a sacrificial. It's a sacrificial offering that he is wanting, he says, your son, your only son. I know he's your son, and I know he is your only son. Now you think about this. God has already separated Abraham from his father. He buried him. He separated him from his nephew Lot, separated him from one son, Ishmael. He separated him from Hagar. He is now about to separate him from Isaac. It's incredible what he's already gone through. And sometimes none of this makes sense. But I got to tell you, one of the things that you will learn as you serve God, we live by his promises, not by explanations. God ever called you to do something that didn't make sense? Boy, if he hadn't yet, he will. I mean, really, the things that God, because God wants to get the glory out of it. And so he's going to call a guy like me 
to preach his word, a guy that was just absolutely the most lost person in all of Anderson County. I mean, I won it three years in a row. Never, ever wanted to do anything like this in my life. I'm the most mind my own business kind of person you could ever see in your life. I could be sitting beside a total stranger who says, I'm thinking about going over there and jumping in that running limb chipper. And I'd probably just look at you. I don't want to mind your business. I might, I might stop you. But don't fight me too hard. I'll let you go. I, 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 just, I just didn't want this job. I didn't want to be in this position. Man, there, there are people who dislike me because of things that I say in the pulpit. I'm like, if you knew how bad, I didn't even want to say it to start with. I didn't even want in the pulpit to start with. God was specific. And yes, a sacrifice, but that's what God said he wanted. That's what he has to get. To he, the whom of worship, the what of worship, the where. In verse 2, he says, I want you to go to Moriah. And he says, there I will show you a place. To one of the mountains I will tell you about. You've never been there before. You've never been to this place before. I just want to say this and we'll move on. Sometimes God takes you to places you've never been. And let me tell you, that's not just geography. I've had men, fathers, tell me, you know, I'm just not there. I have problems with racism, and I can just tell you, they're just certain races, they get on my nerves, and I just how it's going to be. And I, I know I'm supposed to love them, but I'm just not there. Maybe God is wanting to take you somewhere you've not been yet. Turning that other cheek, been there? Well, that's a tough place. That's a tough place, man. I, yeah, that... There are a lot of things in life, places where people say, we say to God sometimes, we say to one another sometimes, I'm, I'm just not there. It might be about church, it might be about self, it might be about your money. Uh, boy, giving money, that's enough to, a lot of people, you can say that a couple of times and they're never coming back. It's just, boy, I'm just not there yet. 10%, are you kidding me? Uh, that, that, oh, they argue that that's Old Testament, you're right. And, and, and I must admit that the 10% was, it belonged to God. That is Old Testament. But in the New Testament, if you do want to go there, all of it belongs to God. Actually, it always did. I'm just not there yet. I don't, I don't know. Preacher Mike talks about that a lot. I, I'm just not there. Abraham had never been here either. Sometimes God has to move us. The whom, the what, the where, the when. So Abraham rose early in verse 3 in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac, his son. You know, when God asks us to do something tough, a lot of times dads, fathers, <laughs> we get into that, well, I'm praying about it. If you know God's told you to do it, there's nothing to pray about. Really? I, I know we say, well, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'll tell you, we've been, talk, we've been talking about it. Why have you been talking about it? If you know God has called you to do something in your life. There's some of you sitting here. I've heard your testimony. 
You are doing right now what God called you to do 20 years before you finally started doing it. Amen? Yeah, some of you, you know God was calling you years ago to do something and you just, you just didn't do it. And, 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 and you finally got a, a, around to it. I can tell you, the when is whenever God calls us, that's when we are to take and make the move. I understand about asking for prayer and all of that, but I can tell you a lot of times that pray about it business is nothing but an excuse for killing time. If you know God has called you, stop praying about the what. Start praying about the how. And do what God calls you to do. Follow Him. And I can tell you how what following God is like. If you go somewhere tonight, you go to get in your car to come home. When you turn your headlights on, you can't see all the way home, can you? But you drive as far as you can see, and you just keep driving, and you keep seeing, and finally one, sometime or another, you wind up at home. It, it, he doesn't show us everything. But when he says go, go. I love it when he told Philip in Acts chapter 8 to go to the desert road. Guys, we would have never figured that one out. I wouldn't have. Philip was in Samaria preaching and they were having a red hot revival. I'd have made that God's will. Would you? I'd have said, man, look at all the people getting saved. This must be God's will. God says, no, I want you to go to the desert road. He never even asked, well, what do you want me to do down there? He just said, no, go. And it says Philip went. (laughs) And he takes him out of a red-hot revival in Samaria where tons of people are coming to know the Lord to win one eunuch to the Lord down there on the side of the road. I can tell you, none of that, humanly speaking, makes any sense. But it doesn't have to make sense to us. It only has to be a command from God. Because here's a shocker for you, okay? We don't know as much as God does. Sit down. Just take deep breaths. He's smarter than you. I know the bar is not very high, is it? We have no idea whether we'll even make it home today. We've already made plans for years from now. Trust in Him. Don't wait on explanations. Walk by faith. The whom, the what, the where, the when. Last of all, the why. Verse 12, He said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your son, hear this language again, your only son. If you were counting them ten times, he uses the word son in these verses. God is pointing somewhere else. Take your son, your only son. Son, Yaqid is Hebrew for your only 
Yaqib bin. He says that three times. And then he says, the one you love. This is the first time, the first time that Ahab, the Hebrew word for love, ever occurs in the Bible. You see where God is pointing? He's looking at Abraham, but he keeps talking about your son, your only son, the son you love. You've got to be willing to sacrifice him. That is exactly what God did for us. The day would come. And did you notice, too, that when they went up the mountain, who, who carries the wood? Isaac. But who carries the knife and who carries the fire? That's the Father. The instruments of death are in the hands of the Father. Man, God did that for us. His only Son, the Son that He loves, He sacrificed Him for our sins. And let me say this again. He died to save us from himself. His wrath. Romans 1.18. It's the wrath of God that's being poured out against all ungodliness. Do you think he died for you to keep the devil from getting you? The devil had you. <laughs> the devil had us, friend. He didn't die to keep the devil from killing us. He said, no, you are already dead in your trespasses and sin. But God is a righteous God. And when we sin, when Adam and Eve sin, they're part of our family. Do you know that? Did you know you came from a dysfunctional family? Yeah. Some of you are going, oh, I knew that before now. Well, it goes back further than you think. This is the Adams family, okay? That's who we're a part of. Man, we, we needed something that only God could give us. And the only way he could give it to us. He couldn't say. And, and I know, this is our understanding of God. We watch too much television. Watch too many shows. I love, I love Andy Griffith. I, this is such a cool show. My favorite of all, because I know you'll want to know this, is when Rafe Hollister sings. Jack Prince is that guy's name. He was a professional singer. Oh, man. Just something about that when he looks at Andy and says, Gosh, Andy, I believe these are the tightest britches I've ever put on in my life. Just love that. And when Barney has to teach him what acapella means, it really gets wild. I knew at the end of every one of those it was all going to work out. That somehow or another, Opie's buddy was going to come back and the bird was going to fly or something. I knew that. But that's Hollywood. Following God is not like that. Sometimes you don't know how it's going to turn. 
We have to put our faith and our trust in God. Sometimes that's not easy to do. It's hard to do. But I can tell you, we have to realize it. He's not a God that can just tinker with things and make it turn out like a movie. When he said only death can pay for sin. When we sinned, he didn't go, okay, well, I'm God. (laughs) So I can fix it however I want to. No. He would have been like the gods we create in our minds and make statues of. He's the creator God, and he's holy, and that's his nature, and he will be true to his nature. And when he said only death can pay for sin, and it must be by a spotless, sinless lamb, it meant that he had to come here, become flesh, and die for us. And he did. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Fathers, this is how we have to lead our families. It's not easy. We have to show them. Live a lifestyle. Let them see us give. Let your kids see that. Let them, let them know. Let, let, let them witness you sacrificing, turning the other cheek, going the extra mile, going to that place that you say, right now, I'm just not there. Let them watch Dad let God work in his life to demonstrate that nothing is as important as God. That's our job. God help us. Our Father, we thank you so for the guidance we get from your word. And I pray now you just help us, Lord. Your word is clear. How we are to accomplish it, God, will have to be in your power and might. We can't do it on our own. Lord, we can't quit being so racist. We can't quit being, uh, God, so sinful and so worldly. And, and, and Lord, we, we can't quit being so narrow-minded and we can't, Quit being so selfish, God, and, and unloving and demanding, God, us fathers, Lord. We can't quit being horrible examples without your help, God. So we need you, Lord. Help us to say right now as fathers, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Take me, God. Use me to show my child, my children, my grandchildren my wife use me Lord to show them what you are like in Jesus name we pray Amen Thank you for joining us today if you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.